Hey, how many of you guys are uh, feeling like things have been a little bit chaotic this morning? It's okay. We can be honest. Yeah. Well, you're in good company then because uh, imagine the chaos and, and disorganization we feel today. Multiply that by like 100, and that's what the original day of Pentecost was like. There were so many languages being spoken at the same time, so much activity, so much energy, flames of fire above people's heads that the onlurkers who were doubting what was going on thought that everyone was drunk. Now, I know none of us are drunk here, all right? It is the day of Pentecost, and we are in church. But embrace the disorganization. Embrace the chaos, because in it, like Pastor Dawit said, we catch a glimpse not only of that day of Pentecost, but heaven will, of what heaven will be like. And it will be the most glorious chaos we've ever experienced. All right? A few weeks ago, at least in the English service, but I know that Pastor Dawit has been preaching through the same series, we looked at an appearance of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection where he confronted Peter. And he asked him three seemingly easy but very difficult questions. Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, today is Pentecost Sunday. We're not going to rehash that previous sermon or that exchange with Peter, but we do need to take a look at that question, one that Jesus asked his disciples, and he asks us, even before the Holy Spirit arrived on Pentecost, do you love me? So do you love Jesus? I don't know. Do you? Okay, cool. Right. We're in a good spot then, all right? Do you remember what Jesus said? Everything that Jesus said? Uh, not so much, right? All right. Do you remember what was just read? Yeah, you do? Okay, I want to remind you, all right, because there were a lot of ifs in that very long scripture reading we heard this morning, okay? So, this is what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments then you'll have to keep what I said you should say that I said you should do. And if you keep my commandments, then you love me. And if you love me, then the Father will love you. And if the Father and Jesus love you, then they'll reveal themselves to you and come to you and make their home with you. And if you keep all the commandments, then all these things will actually happen to you. Clears it up for us, yeah? Makes it a lot easier to understand today. I mean, that's a lot of ifs, isn't it? How are you doing keeping all of those ifs? How are you doing keeping all of the commandments of Jesus? Anyone at like 100%? I keep all the commandments of Jesus. I'll put my hand down. I'm not trying to say I'm the only one. But none of you? I mean, it's kind of a foolish question, right? Because that's a really difficult question. It's an impossible task to say that I'm going to keep all the ifs of Jesus. I'm going to keep all the commandments of Christ. But that's okay. Because God doesn't expect that from you. God doesn't even think for one second that you'll actually be able to keep all the commandments of his son, Jesus Christ. Which is why Pentecost is so important. Why it's so wonderful for not only those of us who follow Jesus, but for the entire world. Because on the day of Pentecost... God says, I know you can't keep all the commandments. I know you're going to fail to meet all those ifs. So I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you 
my very spirit, the spirit of truth, who will not only abide with you, but will abide in you. Now, originally, when I was reading through this, I was a little sketched out by that, a little freaked out, right? Because uh, if you were ever in high school and you ever dated someone and your parents ever said, hey, when you go to the movies, just imagine Jesus is sitting right in between you and the lady. Like, that's kind of creepy, you know what I mean? And you're like, okay, so like, I can't, I don't know, this is weird, right? That's not what the Holy Spirit does. This gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit to abide in you and with you isn't to freak you out or to scare you or to make you feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable with the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is within you to be preoccupied with presenting you as true and holy and righteous and pure and redeemed before the throne of God. And so this idea of keeping the commandments, it's not legalistic. It's not that you have to obey them perfectly in order to be seen as righteous before God. It's not some game or competition to say, okay, who's doing it better? Who's at 100% keeping God's commandments? This idea of keeping the commandments is more like watchful care. A desire to cherish what Jesus says to hold them as a treasure, to do your best, take every pain, to not violate them or let others violate them. If you love Jesus, you're not just protesting against what Jesus says and saying, I can't do it. You're not making excuses and saying, well, this is why I haven't done it. But you're loving every word that Jesus says. You're cherishing it and you're using it as a guard of your heart, knowing that the Holy Spirit is preoccupied with instilling Jesus' words into your heart and into your mind every single day. This is what an advocate does. This is why the Holy Spirit is our helper. Because Jesus ascended. Jesus is not here physically. He's here spiritually. But at his departure, he said, I'm going to send you this helper. I'm going to send you this advocate, this comforter. And so this is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the substitute for Jesus' presence in and with you and alongside of you throughout life, assuring you that you have the Father, Son, and the Spirit dwelling with you with this invisible presence of love and protection that grows and causes you to cherish the faith to pursue the words of Jesus, to increase and grow in your love, not only of God, but of every single person in the world, friend, family, or enemy alike. This faith and love of the Holy Spirit is to remind us, to give us that sense of familiarity that the disciples had when Jesus was physically present with them until he returns. Now, speaking of Jesus' return, last week, Pastor Dawit did a wonderful job sharing with us all the reasons why Jesus' ascension, his departure into heaven, was not only necessary, but beneficial. The power, the nature, the reason, and the importance for it. But he held back on one incredible gift. One incredible gift of Jesus' ascension. We get the Holy Spirit! 
You can't have Pentecost without the ascension. And so like a luchador, last week, I was like sitting here on the ropes like, hey, tap me in, man. Tap me in. I want to go. I want to go, right? I was just ready to jump in, drop an elbow drop on everyone, talking about the Holy Spirit, and get into the ring. And so here we are this morning in this message. Because the mission of God is like one giant cage wrestling match, all right? You got the Father trying to tap the Son in, trying to tap the Spirit in. You're trying to jump in, and God is wrestling against sin and death and the power of the evil one in order to give you the victory. And so when we fell from grace, when we disobeyed God's original commandments, the Father was like, okay, that's it. I'm sending the Son. And the Son was like, yo, tap me in, Father. Tap me in. And so God the Father sent Christ the Son. He became one of us took on our humanity in order to wrestle against our flesh and blood, to wrestle against our sinful tendencies, to give us the victory. Jesus quite literally jumped the ropes between the visible and the invisible, heaven and earth. I mean, we just talked about that in our confession of our faith. Jesus crossed that boundary between visible and invisible in order to advocate for you, to make your case before the Father. Not pushing you up in front of the judgment seat and like, hey, good luck. Hey, why don't you go tell the Father how well you've kept all my commandments? Go convince him how perfect you are. Is that what Jesus did for us? No. Instead, Jesus journeyed to the cross. And when he died, he took that cross and he placed it before the Father. And he said, Here is where your judgment lies. Here's where I received all the condemnation of all humanity in order that they may stand before you perfect and holy and righteous. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he credited you with his own righteousness and gave you his own victory. But he also left us with a promise. And he said it to the disciples, and he gives it to us as well. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you in a little while, even though I'm going to go away for a minute. You see, Jesus was the first advocate on our behalf, the first comforter, the first helper. And he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to leave, but God's not going to leave you like an orphan. Instead, I'm going to send you someone to take my place. And so even though Jesus was our first advocate, (coughs) excuse me, on this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit takes his place and now advocates on our behalf for us, for all eternity, because the very Spirit of God was tapped in and dwells within us. You see, when Jesus ascended, he tapped in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was just waiting to go. Right? The Holy Spirit, just like it was hovering across the face of the deep at the beginning of creation, was waiting in the throne room of heaven for that day when Jesus would ascend and be like, yo, let me get in. Let me get in. I'm ready. I'm going to come. Oh, man, I'm going to blow their minds. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be crazy. It's going to feel disorganized. People are going to say they're drunk, but it's going to be great. It's going to be so cool. It's going to happen. And so Jesus ascends. He's like, yo, get in there, Holy Spirit. Your turn. And when he tags in the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit jumps the ropes once again of the invisible and the visible between heaven and earth and comes down in a rushing wind with flaming tongues of fire and so many languages spoken, people had no idea what was even happening. 
to arrive, not to conduct your case before God, not to rehash out where you've rebelled or resented or sinned, but instead to attend to God's case before you, to continually strengthen your trust in the Christ who was died and resurrected, to continue to strengthen your faith in the God-man become one of us, died and resurrected for us, leaving yet returning to us, to instill in us the love of Christ and empower us to love just like Christ loved us. When the Holy Spirit arrived, it was God's gift of the one who is ever at your side to be your guide, to help you, teach you, and bless you with the word of God, those commandments of Jesus, the one who's actually in your heart, who's actually molding your mind and your spirit according to those commandments of Christ. And despite our best efforts, the very spirit of God is the one who is growing us in faith and love and obedience, who's comforting us, who's reminding us of God's word and his promises, his truth, and the reality that not only does God know who you are, but God gives you the knowledge of who he is as well. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of a promise that God will never abandon you, that God does not leave you orphaned, but he is always with you, present and real. That's also the hope of Pentecost, that Jesus leaves in order to come back, in order to return to you. So like Jesus said, rejoice in this. That's what he told the disciples. Rejoice, I'm going to the Father, and the Father's greater than I am, but rejoice in the fact that I'm leaving, because now I send the Holy Spirit in my place. So in case you guys didn't know this, I'm pretty new to the area. Pretty new to Hayward. So it's my first time seeing these signs that are all around the city of Hayward. And perhaps you've seen them as well. This is what they say. Fireworks are illegal in Hayward and Fairview. Anyone seen those? For some reason, like, they just have been jumping out to my eyes. And I was confused. I'm like, why are they putting up fireworks? It's a little early for the 4th of July. But then, just about every single night at our house, at least, I've been hearing fireworks pop off. And I think to myself, have you not read the sign? Fireworks are illegal in Fairview and Hayward. Sometimes we forget to place the warning signs against fireworks leading up to Pentecost. We hear about this miraculous rushing wind of the Spirit. We read about tongues of fire and literal tongues being spoken. But we forget to put up the warning signs to curb our expectations. Now, don't get me wrong. There were certainly fireworks on Pentecost. Matter of fact, let me read to you exactly what happened. When the day of Pentecost had come, everyone was together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. Okay, this wasn't a calm afternoon Bay Area breeze, all right? This was a violent rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where all the disciples were sitting. And divided as tongues of fire, there appeared on top of them a tongue resting on their heads. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. 
Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem at this time. And at the sound of this rushing wind, the crowd gathered, and they were bewildered because each one of them heard the disciples speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they said, wait, aren't these just Galileans? Like, they barely know Greek and Hebrew. How are they speaking in my language? How is it that we hear every single one of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. That's a lot of languages. How do we hear them speaking in our own language about God's work of power? Everyone was amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this even mean? But, like I said earlier, some of them said, ah, they're just drinking too much wine. There were fireworks at Pentecost. But those fireworks of Pentecost were never meant to be our expectation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. The presence of the Holy Spirit was always to teach, to remind to reassure, to advocate, to comfort, to guide, to help. And Jesus, in John chapter 14, was preparing his disciples for exactly this moment, saying, don't get caught up in the fireworks. Get excited, have some fun, but don't get caught up in the expectation of the fireworks of Pentecost But instead, when those tongues of fire are exploding above your head and you're speaking in languages you have never been able to utter before, instead be reminded of the peace that I give to you. Instead, remember the peace that I leave with you. Peace is one of the greatest promises of Scripture that Jesus gives to his disciples. And it's one of the greatest promises of Scripture that comes true on the day of Pentecost. Let me remind you again what he said in John 14, 26 to 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you like the world gives to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. If we listen to what Jesus is saying, then we can say that the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't supernatural. It's not something abnormal. We shouldn't expect fireworks all of the time or if at all, but we should expect peace. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. To be with you, to teach you everything. Not all at once but over the course of your entire life and to remind you of everything that Jesus said every single day of your entire life. And if you're like me, that's a really amazing promise because not having all of the answers all of the time can be overwhelming or a bit scary. Anyone else feel like that? You just want to have the answer. You want to know what you're talking about. Perhaps you've even been encouraged to be like that. Well, if you're like me, and you can ask Jenny, 
If I don't know the answer to something, I just make something up. I may not be 100% confident of what it is, but I'm like going to definitely be like, oh, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what that means. Or, oh, yeah, you know, this is exactly how that's supposed to happen. And so at least now after 15 years of marriage, she's learned to ask me, do you really know or are you just making that up? And sometimes I have to say I'm just making it up. But this is the beauty of what the Holy Spirit gives to us. That we don't have to have all of the answers. We don't have to have all of the solutions to our problems, even though this is one of the greatest temptations of our sinful nature, of being humans. That we have convinced ourselves that we can, should, and have to solve all of our problems all of the times. But this is not the way of Jesus. Through the work of the Holy Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that faith is actually becoming more and more dependent upon Jesus and upon his Father and upon his Spirit who fills the void of his absence until his return. That we don't have to remember all the ifs of the commandments or obey the commandments entirely, but we become dependent on the one who was perfectly obedient to all of those words. Because I think we can all agree that trying to fix, solve, tackle, work for everything and everything and anything all of the time isn't peaceful. It's not restful. It's tiring. It's exhausting. It's stress-inducing. It fills us with anxiety and sets us up for failure. This is the opposite of peace, is it not? That's why Jesus says, I leave you not my miraculous power, not the fireworks of Pentecost. I leave you my peace. Jesus gives you his peace. And Jesus' peace is the opposite of the world's peace. See, the world says, work harder. I know for me, it was told to me many times, if you're not going 200 miles per hour, you're failing. The world says, hustle, hustle, hustle. Make more money. Gain more power. Earn more prestige. Get more followers. And you'll find peace. But as the days drag on, it becomes more and more evident that that is the last thing that it gives to us. It does not give us peace. It gives us depression. It gives us anxiety. It gives us a sense of despondency and despair. It actually creates failed relationships and gives us excuses not to engage in meaningful relationships instead of giving us peace. But Jesus' peace is this. Don't let your hearts be troubled by any of that. For I have overcome all of those things. I've overcome the world. I've done the work. I've hustled for you. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like we don't have to work, okay? Yes, we all need money, blah, 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 blah. But if that consumes you, you're chasing the opposite of peace. The world says, fear the other. Fear those who are different than you or who disagree with you. They're your enemies. You should be afraid of them. Or fear the unknown because if you don't have the answers, you're ignorant and naive. If you, you should be afraid of what you don't know or what you don't understand. And yet Jesus counteracts us and he says, let me give you my peace. Your hearts don't have to be afraid. They don't have to be afraid to fail. They don't have to be afraid to not have all the answers. 
your hearts don't have to be afraid to stand in the mystery of God. Jesus' peace is the opposite of the world's peace because it's a different kind of success. It's a different kind of triumph. It is a vastly different victory. Because Jesus' victory, unlike the world's victory, isn't rooted in death. Jesus' victory is this, and I quote, Because I live, you also live. Christ's victory is your victory. Christ's life is your life. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. Jesus speaks loudly and eternally. I live in the face of death. I live. It may sound funny to the ears, right? Because you should think he would say, like, I am alive. Or I rose again, I'm living, right? But I think Jesus is intentional about saying, I live, because it gives a note of eternality, a note of timelessness, right? Just like the very name of God. I am who I am. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. I live. And with this note of timelessness, what Jesus conveys to you and I this morning is that no death affects his life. And because of your connection with him through the cross and the empty tomb, no death, ultimately no death, truly affects your life either. Not only death, but God's enemy and your enemy, the evil one, has no power over you, cannot overcome you, may threaten you, sure, but will not overtake you. And Jesus pulls no punches He owns up to this. He admits this. He draws our attention to this when he says, the ruler of this world is coming. You can see the ruler of the world waiting for you, looking for you, wanting you. But take heart. He has no power over me. And as a result, he has no power over you. The ruler of this world may come at you every single day. And by the ruler of this world, I mean that temptation to hustle, to work, to prove yourself time and time again until you fall asleep exhausted. Or lay there thinking, what a failure. The ruler of this world comes at you every day. This is true. But take heart because he has no power over you, for Christ is in you. And so if you love Jesus, which you all said you do, which is great. So if you love Jesus, put your trust in him. Gladly receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for in doing that, receiving this incredible power of God come from on high into your heart, dwelling in your mind, body, and soul, then you have fulfilled all those ifs and all those commandments precisely because Christ fulfilled everything the Father commanded him. This is the victory of God. Christ's obedience granting you victory over any and all of those ifs. Living in possession of this true life of Christ. Being reborn and regenerated, refreshed and reconnected to God 
through Christ's redemption. I cannot say it enough. You have the victory of God. So rise be on your way with, mer- with the mercy of God the Father. Rise and be on your way with the peace of God the Son. And rise and be on your way with the presence of God the Holy Spirit. Amen.